I want to welcome everybody and thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Robert Kaufman. I'm the CEO of the Parker Avery Group, and we are deeply gratified and appreciative to have you join us today for this webinar, which is the third in our series of Reconstructing Retail. The last two weeks, we've focused on inventory and how to triage the inventory that's likely sitting in your dark stores and in your distribution centers. And last week, we focused on people and helping people navigate what is clearly an unbelievable transformational change right now and making sure and helping them uh, be resilient. Today, which is the topic of really helping you think about restoring your operations and all the decisions that you and your organizations are gonna have to make to position yourself for future success. Uh, next week, will be the final webinar in this series, and we're gonna focus on the future and giving you tools to help you gain insights and improve your decision-making. I wanna get started, and before we introduce the panel, I just want to give you a quote from a, a very famous uh, person. Uh, his name was Mike Tyson, and he had a very interesting quote that went something like this. Everybody has a plan until they're punched in the mouth. Well, um, for those who remember that epic fight 30 years ago, Buster Douglas delivered that punch and several others and, and took the title from Mr. Tyson and uh, really rocked his world. Well, COVID-19 is the equivalent of our Buster Douglas today. And we've all been knocked on the canvas proverbially, and we now have to decide how we're gonna to react to that. There's really no uh, perfect formula, but what we hope to do today is to really give you some pragmatic input and perspective on how to do it. It really struck uh, me and, and others on the panel over the last week or so, there is an innumerable number of resources on this same subject. Uh, retail experts, advisors, and essentially anybody who has an opinion is writing about how to get everybody restarted. And we welcome all that input and we're not here to refute it, Rather, we want to complement it and be able to provide additional input in a dialogue and hope that we can be good partners in so doing. We spent the majority of our careers in retail and we feel like this is an obligation and, and an honor really to be able to provide some thoughts that if they could help you and your teams as you embark on this journey, then, then we've done a good, a good thing for the industry and for you. And so, we don't have all the answers and there's honestly enough content on this subject that we could fill 10 45 minute webinars, but of course we only have time for one. So uh, just bear with us and we will do our best to provide as much input to you as we can. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our panel. You've heard from Joe Scarupa. He probably needs no introduction. Joe, after a very successful 20-year career with Riz News as editor-in-large um, is now on his own and has been able to spend time with us on our prior uh, webinars. He's an expert in all things retail and should be uh, very interesting for you to hear his perspective. And so we welcome Joe to the panel. Welcome, Robert. Uh, thank you, Joe. Uh, Clay Parnell is our president and managing partner. He joined the firm in 2014 
And prior to that, he was with Belk Department Stores and led a major business transformation, which provided both uh, business process improvement and change management that led to the enablement of Belk Department Stores to be acquired by private equity shortly after Clay departed. Prior to that, Clay was with a couple of uh, consultancies, uh, most prominent and near and dear to my heart was Kurt Salmon Associates, where I also worked. Uh, Clay and I uh, had the pleasure, at least it was my pleasure, not sure about his, of working together almost 30 years ago where he was my first project manager. Uh, so welcome Clay to the panel. Thank you. And I am Robert Kaufman. I am the CEO of the Parker Ravery Group. And I am I'm with the firm now going on my 10th year. It's hard to believe. Prior to that, as I mentioned, I was with KSA about 10 years, and I also served in a leadership of professional services for a supply chain software company. As I mentioned, we are here to help you and, and your company think about how to emerge from what has likely been a very difficult period. And before we do that, I thought we would just take a look back, and Clay's going to give a perspective from way back in January although in COVID time, that's about four years ago, but it's really only about four months of some things that we were talking about uh, right around NRF time. Thank you, Robert. So as Robert said, before talking about the future, we thought it made sense to spend a couple of minutes just putting things in perspective. So back in January, as we do at the start of every year, many of us are used to looking ahead and determining our priorities and what we're gonna focus on for the coming year. Uh, this is an actual list from January. It's, it probably looks familiar to many of you. Today, our context and perspective as far as where we are and what we're facing is completely different from where we were three months ago. Um, but you can look at these priorities and firmly believe they, they still apply, and they do. Well, it appears that Clay, we may have lost Clay, so apologies. We've been having some technical difficulties. Um, but really what, what Clay was conveying is that um, whether we are as an industry or, or we were fortunate and we're somewhat prescient that some of those same things we were talking about back in January are still relevant today. And even though we've gone through an unbelievable uh, change over the last seven or eight weeks, some of the same tenants still hold true. Joe, would you like to take us through uh, kind of the things that we think we know and things we don't know? Yeah, yeah, Robert. Let me uh, and as as all of our viewers can see, um, you know, uh, there are bandwidth issues, and you know, it's interesting that, that that's certainly uh, symptomatic of uh, all of the issues that retailers are going to experience when they get to to day one. And um, and I, I I was thinking about this. I had my uh, comments prepared, and then I thought, you know, this is a big moment for retailers, and it kind of reminds me of opening night for a play, you know, for those of us who were in high school or college theater productions, you know, retailers and consumers are eagerly awaiting the reopening of stores as well as businesses and schools and all the other places that we have all learned to appreciate so dearly. And um, how soon are we going to open? Well, it's interesting because states like Georgia and Texas, and I just read this morning, as many as 31 states will see... Um, phased reopenings over the next few days. And uh, we don't know which uh, states uh, are announcing those on a, you know, on a daily basis, an hourly basis. However, um, the NRF is actually providing a resource. And, and as uh, Robert mentioned, there are other resources for you to check on. 
and uh, certainly the NRF plan is a is a good uh, area to focus on. They provide a lot of practical tips. But before we get into that, one thing I I wanted to point out is that you know multi-state retail chains have to tailor their store opening plan. They have to tailor their operations and merchandise plans. They have to um, do it not only. Uh, on the way their normal processes work, which is typically by grouping stores um, into logical groups and managing by averages, they're going to have to try to to break that apart and manage, you know, state by state and and including, you know, store by store. And uh, this is going to place uh, a lot of stress on some systems used for replenishment, planning, ordering, marketing, and more. And you know, many of these systems. Um, have not uh, been able to be as um, agile and flexible uh, to do this. Let me give you one example of a very agile retailer that has done Best Buy, for example. Uh, They're letting 200 of their stores open up for in-store, they call in-store consultation services for the purchase of big appliances. Now, to make this happen, Best Buy implemented a detailed plan for each store that will offer the new service. And it's quickly developed applications to make this happen in a controlled way. Customers are going to be able to schedule appointments with Best Buy Blue Shirts on a limited basis. They're going to be able to make appointments by phone, online, the Best Buy app uh, via live chat. And customers will then start receiving communications from Best Buy. This will all be automated. This will all be centralized. They're going to have a confirmation notice about their visit. They're going to get reminders sent via text and email. In addition, a blue shirt will actually call the customer before each visit to go over the process of what's going to happen in the store, the safety measures that are taking place and actually required for the customer, and the sharing of information about the purpose of the visit so that the blue shirt can actually create an in-store plan. So, of course, that in-store plan is going to have to include hand sanitization. It's going to have to include a mask. It's going to have to include social distancing. Now, no doubt all of these detailed processes for 200 distributed stores cannot happen without agile technology. And this framework had to already be in place so that Best Buy could layer these new applications they just rolled out on top of it. And the reason they want to do this in a very controlled way is to make sure that it doesn't break down and deliver a poor experience when you're trying to deliver the best possible experience to your customers. And this is going to bring me to my final point. And that is that uh, store operations are going to have to change drastically for employees and shoppers. We know this. We know we're going to do social distancing, wear masks and gloves. We know we're going to uh, have uh, stores that require sanitation protocols to happen overnight and, and actually during the day in high traffic areas and surfaces where they'll need to be sanitized. So the more retailers focus on health and safety for their employees and customers and follow the guidelines set up by Kroger, for example, they came out almost a week ago with a set of guidelines they shared with everyone and by the NRF guidelines they set up. The more retailers focus on this, the more trust they'll build. And building trust is really the essential ingredient retailers should focus on on each of the day ones we have as retail emerges from the lockdown. That's really interesting, Joe. Um, I read a couple of those, the NRF and the and the Kroger uh, guidelines, and I found a couple of things interesting in Kroger's recommendations. One was around cross-training, 
with the hyper vigilance around health and ensuring that their employees, in fact, if there's any inclination that they might be ill are going to stay home as they should, there's likely to be greater absenteeism. So in order to make sure that operations run smoothly, they're recommending and they themselves are cross-training their teams to try and make sure that there's not any disruption so that people can step into the roles of others who are not in the stores. I uh, thought that was interesting. And, and additionally, and they're not the only ones, they are shutting down and having more limited hours to allow their associates to get rest. I mean, a, a well-rested employee and an associate, besides being a bit more happy, is going to be more efficient and, and able to do the things they need to do because there's more to do now. There's the deep cleanings that have to happen each day in, in stores and the replenishment of, of goods. Now, everybody probably doesn't have the same skew velocity of a Kroger, but nonetheless, you want to put your, your best merchandise out and, and best foot forward. So enabling your team to, to work less hours that the, the customers are there, but still have the same hours and, and to do the additional work, I think was an important guideline. You know, Robert, I wonder if uh, any of our attendees uh, to our webinar today have thought about all, uh, you mentioned uh, employees. There are so many employee considerations. And I wonder if they've thought about those. Like, so for example, uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, monitoring, uh, self-health monitoring, and maybe even uh, mandatory monitoring of things like uh, temperature. But then you also have to deal with, well, what happens if customers refuse to follow the social distancing? You, you really have to train your employees about new things you never thought of before. What happens if, if there's kind of like a whistleblower uh, effect? What happens when, uh, when there are suspected cases of coronavirus uh, among uh, staffers or among employees? I mean, these are things that I'm thinking that all of the retailers listening in today have to start thinking about, I'd love to hear your feedback as to what you're thinking about doing and, and how this is impacting your business. But these are big, important issues. Yeah, agreed. You know, there's no perfect one, you know, one size fits all answer. But I'd like to say that the uh, guidelines at NRF and others have brought forth are, you know, best practices. And Absolutely. I think you should make every effort in your respective stores and, and your companies to follow those best practices so that the considerations you're talking about, you know, are minimized at the risk of exposing yourself, unfortunately, to, you know, legal circumstances, which again, we're not lawyers, we're not here to give legal counsel, but uh, the more you adhere to the, the best practices, the best opportunity you have to avoid any type of uh, whistleblower type situation or, you know, litigation if somebody does get sick. And let's be honest, somebody's going to get sick in these stores, right? It may not be because of anything that somebody did or didn't do, but people are unfortunately going to get sick. And so we live in a litigious society. And so following the best practice is the way to go. Best defense. So we jumped right in, but I just wanted to frame up really uh, kind of the three pillars of what we're going to be talking about. And we touched on the first one already, which is the triage, which is a similar phrase that we used in the first uh, webinar. And really what it's saying is taking a look at the state of the state. What are the things that are going on in your organization that need to be really reviewed and done quickly to determine what the immediate next steps are to position yourself for this emergence from COVID-19? 
The second is what we're calling plan. And that sounds pretty straightforward. And the planning part is, but what we'll talk about is the need to be very agile and replan as circumstances change as they have and continue to do. And then the third, kind of the namesake of the whole series is the reconstruct. How do you reimagine your business and your business model to not only uh, sustain, but to thrive and to become a real leader in the marketplace? We'll discuss some of the things that we believe are really important in that regard. So that's kind of the, the frame of the discussions. Joe kicked off the discussion around checklist and as we move forward into uh, the triage, there are there are definitely more elements there um, that we are going to cover. And I think Clay, you're going to you're going to start us off if you can hear us. Yep, I'm going to give it a shot. So let's talk about triage. As Robert mentioned, we we touched on triage in the first webinar with a real focus on on inventory, um, but we also want to talk about speed and flexibility and communication and collaboration, all of which are very important given some of the aspects that Joe and, and Robert were just touching, uh, touching on. Um, with a lot happening so quickly, some aspects changing daily, many just returning to work, communication and collaboration I think are paramount. How can and will you do this? Do you already have tools in place to support communication both in the back office or headquarters as well as in the field and to the stores? Uh, even within back office, communication will not be normal. Some of the team may be in the office. Some are still going to be working from home and remotely, whether it's because of health or family reasons or simply to limit the associates in what might be a tight office space. So managing a mix of on-site and remote workers and communicating is actually more challenging than if everybody's working from home. So a lot's going to be happening across your teams, trying to determine inventory status, needs, placement. At the same time, stores are opening and those schedules are changing daily, a lot of moving parts. Um, for communication with the stores, of course, this is critical. Uh, beyond typical things you'd be communicating, pricing, promotion, signage, et cetera, the real focus right now is, is health and safety. How do we know all stores are getting and understanding the right instructions and have the right supplies? Compliance is critical. And regarding communication to the stores, how is that done today? Many retailers still use email, posted newsletters, what have you, uh, but there are newer tools that can be rolled out in perhaps just a few weeks and they may be, may be worth a look. The only other thing I'll mention is around decision-making. Um, rapid and decisive decision-making is important now more than ever. Uh, we gotta focus on what's good enough versus striving for perfection. And information is gonna keep changing um, and evolving. So scrappy approaches versus waiting for something that's scalable or more hardened is the right approach right now. Uh, and for team leaders, anything not absolutely re required really needs to be considered taking off associates' plates. You know, Clay, um, we focus a lot on frictionless retail as uh, an advanced level of uh, omnichannel capabilities, for example. Uh, the hope there was that we're making it quick and easy for shoppers. But uh, today, we are hearing about contactless retail. And it's not just a buzzword. You know, it's it's something that makes a lot of sense. Um, to, just to further some of the things in triage and, and speed and such that Clay was alluding to, uh, speed's important, uh, decisiveness, the rapid nature of the way things are coming at you and all of us right now is unprecedented. And to have the ability to process that information, uh, whether the decision-making is done in a somewhat decentralized or a centralized way, we have to bring that to a head get the decisions made and get them communicated back out through a form of governance. 
not suggesting it has to be a formal program management office, but in some way, we need to make sure that as things and conditions are changing, the organization is, again, processing that very quickly, being decisive, even with limited information. We would all love to wait till we have every I dotted and T crossed, but that's not the, the world we're living in today. Make those decisions and then also ensure they get communicated to whomever needs that information. And that governance could just be somebody making sure that everything I just said is happening and happening on a regular basis. Robert, yeah, let me just uh, jump in and finish my point about contactless payment, uh, yeah, con right. not contactless payment, that's part of contactless retailing. But the contactless is just so important now because it'll help retailers build trust. It's a way to do effective social distancing. It's a way to allow retailers to, to shop and buy without feeling like they're, they're risking anything. And, and why do I believe that this is important to retailers who have the ability to do it? And that's because if you look at the contactless trend um, that emerged in China after the Great Recession, it was really the pivotal event that launched Alibaba and JD.com into being the behemoths they are today. Those two retailers are fully optimized for online, mobile especially, and platform selling, but they have phenomenal back-end logistics operations that support uh, their transactions and the stores that they actually do operate. And they also have automated warehouses. They have contactless delivery, uh, which includes a well-developed infrastructure of pickup lockers, for example. And uh, what they have found is that Chinese shoppers, as well as many other Asian shoppers, have really adopted the mobile channel because of these capabilities in a far higher percentage than any other channel, and certainly in how shoppers are used to shopping pre-COVID in, in the US. So just as Alibaba and JD.com grew exponentially after the Great Recession, I believe that retailers that successfully implement contactless retailing on an accelerated time frame will have first mover advantage. Yeah, Joe, that's really interesting. And it's it's really talking about the the reconstruction phase, but I think it's it's worthwhile to talk about that. No surprise, we're at a huge inflection point right now. And companies are gonna have to make a couple of really, really uh, key decisions that could determine their their viability. We all understand that we want to get back to what we'll call pre-COVID uh, operations. And, and that's understandable, but the companies that just stop there are probably going to miss out for exactly the reasons you mentioned. This is a pivotal moment for companies to take this opportunity to forge ahead and try and reimagine their business. And it's not just for the purposes of doing it just because they want to be innovative, but innovation is important. It's because it's what the customers are demanding. You know, sometimes I think Apple has a, a phrase, something along the lines of what, what they're trying to do is create products that their customers don't even know they need, but, but can't live without. It, it's almost like that. You know, you have to rethink and, and, and put yourself in the place of the customer. And so contactless pickup, the delivery models that we've talked about for Omnichannel, those are gonna be table stakes. But going even beyond that are the things that also companies are gonna really need to think about. I mean, there's a, you know, an old adage, necessity is the mother of invention, right? And so uh, companies like 
Bed Bath & Beyond, Kendra Scott, and Michaels, you may have read over the last week or so, have brought omni-channel capabilities to bear that they didn't have, or they were in you know, rudimentary uh, stages. And they didn't do it in six, nine, or 12 months, which is the typical timeframe. They did it in weeks. And in one uh, statement, I saw that Michaels implemented curbside in one week. And I don't have inside information as to how far along they were beforehand, but these are phenomenal uh, innovations. And, and again, they were done because it was essential for their survival. And companies are gonna have to continue to pivot that way in the future, because if they don't, their competition will. And even the known competition uh, isn't the only thing they have to worry about. There's gonna be new entrants that are going to take this approach. You know, just a couple other points. Digital is really an enabler in that whole process. And, and digital has been talked about for years now. And those that had, you know, digital capabilities more so than not, were able to move more quickly and so in order to pivot, and even if you don't know exactly where you're pivoting to, it's easier to do it from a digital infrastructure than a non-digital infrastructure. And so uh, the companies that are really thriving and are gonna be the leaders are the ones that have accelerated their move to a, a digital enterprise. And it goes beyond omnichannel. There are other examples of that, but it, it, it strikes us that that's a really important consideration. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, the digital aspect, you know, relates to digital transformation. It relates to, you know, the fact that a retail enterprise is really an ecosystem. Uh, it's an ecosystem of suppliers, third-party uh, replenishment, uh, you know, uh, fulfillment, um, warehouses. It's it's a huge ecosystem, and the more that's digitized in the cloud, so that it's not just resting in servers, and the only thing you get are reports when you request them or that are delivered on a scheduled basis. But the more that it's transparent in real time and you can go out to that ecosystem and make shifts and changes, the more agile you'll be. And then you can deal with a crisis like this and other crises that, that may be in the future. Agreed. Just to you know, re reiterate a couple of points that, we, um, that Clay was going to make, but it also applies here. We touched on speed in the triage, meaning to assess the situations that are under you know, under attack, if you will, and putting in plans very quickly to mitigate those, those situations. The planning that we just really skipped over is just that, to build a plan, but as these conditions change, to be able to very quickly and agilely replan. Um, there's an old adage that says, plan the work and work the plan. And I'm a big advocate of that under normal circumstances, but these aren't normal circumstances. Things are changing so rapidly that it it's an unbelievably important for companies to uh, be just that, uh, flexible and adaptable to those situations. And even plans that are in progress, you know, in the short term, if something dramatically changes, and God forbid if we have this scenario happen where after these openings, certain states decide to shut back down because there's a, a high reoccurrence of COVID, you need to stop whatever you've been doing on the reopening side, or at least keep in parallel and incorporate now some shutdown procedures that you weren't planning for because things are moving so quickly. And, and one other point, that whole model about processing and making decisions very quickly, going back to the examples of Michaels and Kendra Scott and such, they did that in a very, very fast timeframe, as I mentioned. 
And they did it in a way where they knew they couldn't have a perfect solution. Otherwise, they'd still be having it on the drawing board and it wouldn't be there. There's a phrase that, you know, I, I hear used with certain clients called minimum viable product or MVP. And what it really means is we're going to put something good out and we're going to learn from it. It's a test and learn model. And there's benefit to that. And these companies are seeing that move quickly, put something out. It doesn't have to be perfect. Get some learnings, get some um, benefit to your customers as quickly as possible and continue to iterate through and make it better. And so that whole model is going to be really important. And I, and I, I really challenge all of you that are listening that even if it's uncomfortable and, and somewhat counterculture to your organization, if you don't add that real speed and innovative approach in a test and learn agile way, I fear that uh, you're gonna move more slowly and your competition is gonna leapfrog you. So don't be the one that's being leapfrogged, be the one that does the leapfrogging or sets the, sets the stage for that future uh, success. And so I really believe that's an important consideration for, for companies to, to undertake and really look at what's worked over the last seven, eight weeks and bring it forward. Yeah, Robert, we have a question from uh, one of our attendees that fits right into this, this plan uh, slide that we have here in, our, in the plan discussion you, you just uh, went through. And uh, it, it, it implies that uh, the retailer may have unresponsive systems to work with, for example, for replenishment planning and ordering. And, and the, the, the point is, how can you use those capabilities to get your stores back up efficiently? I think you pretty much hit it on the head. It's, you know, test and learn, put something out there, see what comes back from it. But I could also say that um, using analytics and going back through history to the time of the Great Recession, for example, might be one way to get a baseline because uh, when you uh, look back at a disruption like that, you can recognize that there are certain commonalities uh, that uh, this disruption you know, may have that's similar. Now there are different in many ways, uh, but nevertheless, if you have 5,000 SKUs or 50,000 SKUs or 100,000 SKUs to manage, you need some baseline to look at. So I would say to look at maybe uh, maybe even weather-related hurricanes or tornadoes that have hit certain geographies, maybe go back to those snapshots and, and see how you can use that as a kind of a baseline to do your planning. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It really does. So as we, as we move forward, the things that are you know, most foundational and likely going to require the most change from an organization from where they are today. Who'd have thought two months ago that the basics of cleaning and communication and contactless uh, uh, in, uh, interaction with customers would be the most uh, challenging and important initial step, but it is. And then as Joe alluded to earlier, that is a foundation to rebuild the trust not just the trust with your customers, which is important, but your own employees and your associates, right? They're on the front lines and they are, they are the true heroes here. And if they don't feel safe and don't feel like they're in a healthy environment, they themselves aren't going to be able to uh, work and thrive. And then it also includes, you know, being a, a, a great member of your community and, and partnering and building those relationships and, and, leaning on those relationships as required. 
And then you move up and you see the things that are, I guess, more typical in that uh, some companies may already have some of the omni-channel capabilities we talked about, some may not, but these are the foundational elements to get you to ultimately to, you know, to thrive in your environment. And we hope, as mentioned, that you can, you can navigate this very quickly. Any, uh, anything you wanted to add to that, Joe? Yes, not? I do. Yes. Uh, sorry, sorry about that technical difficulty. I actually don't even need my phone in, in this room here, so I'm going to get rid of it next time. Uh, it's linked up with my Mac, so it, it rings through there. But, um, but one thing I love about this slide, Robert, is that uh, this would provide, or it, to me it does, it provides the perfect framework for uh, developing practical steps that retailers should take as they plan to emerge from you know the crisis um, you know we have i know we have a key takeaway slide coming up at the end but i do urge all of our you know listeners today and viewers today to take note of the recommendations made here flesh them out for your specific uh, geography and segment and customers and uh, business model start with uh, as robert said safety first uh, then move on up through this um, and uh, and then if you do that and you apply the specific tips that had a few of here, you know the contactless retailing. Make sure your products and pricing are tailored to give shoppers what they're looking for. This is a good way to do planning and a good way to develop a roadmap. So uh, I would urge everyone to get a snapshot of this one and uh, and then apply that to some of the key takeaways we have at the end. Agreed. Thank you. I guess revisiting reconstruct, we we jumped there um, earlier and touched on some of the uh, digital and omni-channel capabilities. There's other capabilities such as digitization of the product development lifecycle, and there's probably not as much adoption there yet. But there's ways through digitization of your product before it's brought to uh, in your assortment. You can do crowdsourcing. You can then further on down your, your go-to-market uh, product development timeline. You can really begin to eliminate physical samples. And albeit that seems a bit counterculture, there are companies that are doing that. And by using 3D imaging and vehicles like this, maybe not a webinar platform, but Zoom and such, instead of flying to China and you know air shipping physical samples, companies are cutting out unbelievable amounts of time. And while that may seem as an insular improvement, and, and it is, it's also benefiting the customer because you're giving the customer a more on-trend product and you're on the crowdsourcing, you're actually getting their input. They are part of your ecosystem of getting that product to market. And, and that's just another example of how this digitization and rethinking how your business works, that's gonna position you in, in the future for going forward. Joe touched on analytics and such. There, you know, there's a whole webinar next week, not to put a plug in for that necessarily, but there's a lot that can be done with analytics and, and your information that can provide insights. And you know, it's the speed to those insights that are important as well, so that you know you can turn data into information and actionable information. And so as I started by saying, there's so many elements of this emerging from COVID that you can take on. And this forum isn't going to answer every one of the questions, but we hope that this is a complement to what's out there and other people are providing that input 
So ultimately, you can build that playbook that is right for you and positions you, again, not just to restore your current operations, but to then take the next step and really become a leader. Now, Robert, uh, we have another comment about uh, some of the larger retail chains that, uh, you know, maybe in all 50 states, for example, I'm just going to focus on the U.S. here. And, uh, and how are they going to manage and, uh, and, and get their reconstruct uh, plan in place and execute it well? And I think that, that, uh, that there's, there might be good news here in that, uh, that as I just mentioned, uh, some states are taking the lead on reopening early. 31 states are, are taking steps to do it, you know, in at least some steps in a few days. This gives you the opportunity for those larger chains to actually split apart some of those groups that they have locked into silos uh, for planning purposes, for merchandise purposes, for uh, promotion purposes, for all of the things that uh, really run a distributed network of stores uh, from a central headquarters. And uh, this will enable retailers, the larger ones, to actually decide and figure out what's a better way to do this. How can we get move away from the big groups and manage by averages? One of the things that I always thought was tough for retailers was that if you have a group and half of your group is doing well and half of your group is not doing well, well, they, you still may hit your plan. You still may hit your targeted goal. And you're basically admitting that half of your group uh, is underperforming, but you throw a party because you've hit your goal. And, uh, and this will give retailers a, um, an opportunity to rethink those groups and maybe develop ways to get granular and do it on a store-by-store -store basis. I agree. Very good. Very good insight, Joe. Well, in terms of the key takeaways, uh, not trying to be redundant, but you know, speed, uh, having governance, rapid decision-making, um, quickly you know, planning and replanning as necessary, the fourth bullet's really interesting. Leveraging the passion and know-how of your team to innovate. Innovation sounds you know, very daunting, but the power of your team is so much more than you probably understand. And, and lighting that fire, and honestly, they probably have that fire and that passion. You know, they've been away for the most part for the last two months. They're going to come out of the gates really looking to <laughs> really to make a difference here. And uh, Joe, uh, you and I were talking the other day. I don't know if you remember what you what you said around this point that this whole this whole situation really made you think about what what retail is and what it means. Do you remember that discussion? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, well, to, to me, I'm, I'm hoping I'm remembering the one, but it's a it's a, something that uh, we we look forward to and value more highly than ever before. We're actually in the business uh, providing the public, uh, things that they need and want. And that's a really good feeling. That's a fulfilling feeling for all of the employees that work for a retailer. There's a meaning to our business. Yeah, you said it more succinctly. You said retail matters and it yeah. does, right? The models are changing, but retail matters. And it matters not only to us as retailers, but as, as the consumers as well. So I see that we're right up against the time. Uh, Joe, thank you very much. Uh, I'll get Clay afterwards. <laughs> but, uh, thank Clay anyway. <laughs> I appreciate everyone uh, bearing with us through the technical challenges, and I hope that you did find it uh, beneficial and useful. And we hope that uh, same bat time, same bat channel next week, we'll have our fourth and final 
installment, which is looking towards the future. So with that, I will wish you all well, be well, be safe, and uh, take care. Thank you.